Turning your Bibles to John 16, we will conclude today. This was actually, this was one sermon, one sermon, and I have gotten three, four messages out of it, but it was one sermon, and the problem is, and I tried to avoid it, I almost did it again last night, that as we were looking at these seven ministries of the Holy Spirit, and last night, as I was looking at what we were going to finish the last three, and you have an outline that you uh, received, and, uh, and what we've covered already kind of put that in there, and then the blank ones is what we'll look at today. But I almost did it again last night, because as I kind of review, I'm like, oh, this would be good to put in here, and, and I thought, we're going to stretch this out. So uh, this is part of... The reason we're talking about the Holy Spirit inside the Gospel of John is because right between John 14 and 17, or really 13 and 16-ish in there, but that section in the Gospel of John is what is referred to as the Upper Room Discourse. That's kind of a formal name for it, but it's the section that is unique in the Gospel of John. You don't find this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where that entire, those entire set of chapters is Jesus' teaching to his disciples literally within a 24 hours before he would be arrested and crucified. And so in the Gospel of John, in that section of those chapters, we find things about uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, teaching of Jesus that he gives to his followers, his disciples, that we don't receive anywhere else. And that's why it's, you, you could do a whole series and you know just in that section because there's so much. And because Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, and you remember where it all began in John 14.1, uh, as he's setting up about him uh, right before he's going to be crucified, he says, "...let not your hearts be troubled." And he tells them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And so part of his comfort that he tells them in these chapters has to do with the coming of the Holy Spirit that he teaches his disciples. And just by way of a quick context, in verse 16 of John 14, 16, Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, I will pray to the Father that he will give you another helper. That word helper is a title or term for the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's the word parakletos or paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. Uh, and that has to do with helper, one who comes alongside. He said, and the Father will give you one who's going to come alongside and help you. Help you do what? Help you for the life and the work that's ahead, the commission to come alongside of you. And he says in John 16, beginning at verse 7, Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, they're not really thinking that it's going to be to their advantage, but he says, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. However, when he, and he calls him now not the helper, but the spirit of truth, when the spirit of truth has come, 
Jesus promises that he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak on his, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, part of that triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. And so today we're going to look at part three of this message called the seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm sure that we can find more ministries of the Holy Spirit. This is just kind of a little bit more of a condensed emphasis on talking about the Holy Spirit. It says part two up there, but really it's part three. And so in the beginning, in part one, we talked, uh, gave a lot of introduction material about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to even attempt to review now. But the first, let's look at some of these first ministries of the Holy Spirit that we've already talked about in the last few weeks. And by the way, this is online, so you can go back and, and catch up. But the seven ministries of the Holy Spirit uh, that we've already looked at is, one, the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. The Holy Spirit transforms our lives. The Holy Spirit is God's agent, uh, the work of Christ, and applying that brings the change and the scripture that is in your handout, it won't be on the screen, says is the scripture in Galatians 5 that speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is that which is grown, that which is developed. And so uh, Paul in the book of Galatians uses the analogy or metaphor of fruit because fruit has sweetness. It's grown over time. A good, a good tree bearing good fruit tells us, just you don't have to be a scientist, just tells us that that's a healthy tree because it's bearing sweet, good fruit. And so he uses that picture to tell us about the work of the Spirit in our life. And he goes on to tell us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So the Holy Spirit transforms our lives, that as we uh, commit our lives to Christ, the work of the Spirit is going to be manifest, is going to be revealed in, our, in change uh, of our attitudes, our affections, our behavior, all those things. That's not going to be us trying to keep a checklist. It's going to be the work of the Spirit applying the cross, applying the work of Jesus into our regular life. Secondly, one of the ministries is the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Uh, the scripture I read earlier in John 16, where Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. Notice it says that the Holy Spirit does the convicting. You know where the church sometimes get in, gets in trouble? Where we take the role of the Holy Spirit and we start doing the convicting, right? And then the world looks at our lives and says, you don't even believe this yourself. Look at your life. And you wonder why, and people, how many times have you heard this? Well, I don't want to go to church because it's full of what? I was going to say saints. What did you all say? Have y'all, I've been talking to, no. Full of hypocrites. What are they acknowledging? That Christians do not walk the talk. But notice it says, or Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. As we are reflecting the work of Christ, the Holy Spirit has that role. But not only does He do it in the world, but guess what? The Holy Spirit is bringing conviction into our life. Now, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. He's not condemning, but the Holy Spirit's always 
moving and nudging our lives closer and closer to be in conformity with Jesus, right? Because remember, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on His own. He's always pointing, He's always directing to Jesus. So if the Holy Spirit's doing a true work in a person's life, a person claims to be full of the Holy Spirit, guess what? Their life should be full of Jesus. Would you agree with that? I think, all right, eight of you, good, all right? And so what does the Holy Spirit do? What did Jesus promise? He said, I will come and send a helper. What does a helper do? The helper, the Holy Spirit, helps us keep our life in alignment with Jesus. Your wheels of your car in the front always ever get out of alignment, right? And you know the shimmy and the shaking and the rocking and rolling, right, that's going on because they're out of alignment. A lot of times the reason we struggle and have issues in our lives is because our lives are out of alignment. It may not have anything to do with whether we're saved, but we're out of alignment, and the Holy Spirit is there to help us get in alignment, to get in conformity, to get on track, right, to help us align and keep our relationship strong in Christ. Thirdly, this is all review, went into it a lot more detail. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit guides us to the truth. Holy Spirit guides us to the truth. Jesus said that in John 14. When he comes, he will guide you into all truth, all things. He's going to bring to remembrance, Jesus said, the things that I've said. I don't know about you, but I need remembrance, right? I need my brain to remember things. I was talking with Keith earlier, and, I, and we were, I don't know what we were talking about, and it's like, you ever just, your mind just like, the name on the, is on the tip of my, and like, I, I just forgot it. Now, I did correct, I did get Prevagen right. It wasn't some weird drug, but we don't need that. We have, <laughs> um, we need the Holy Spirit's rem- to bring to mind and remember, what does he call it? It, it isn't that he's going to uh, help you remember your, your test that you, or, you know, that you didn't study for or something. No, what is the promise he tells them there? And again, it's in your outline, John 14. He said, I will bring, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things, this is Jesus talking, the things that I said, that I said. And so that is how the Holy Spirit guides us. And we talked about the Holy Spirit guides us in the Word, and we looked at three different ways to do that. And you can listen and find out what those three things are. But fourthly, we uh, studied last week how the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim or witness Christ. Proclaim kind of sounds like formal, but it really how empowers us to be messengers and lights to tell others about Jesus. That was the commission that Jesus gave his followers, and that's true for us. And so the Holy Spirit, uh, the promise when Jesus told his disciples to go and wait for him there in Jerusalem, and we see in John, or I'm rather, uh, Acts 1, verse 8, he says that the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon you, you will receive power, you will receive power, you will receive the Greek word dunamis, dynamite, that's where we get that word dynamite, You will receive power to be my witnesses, to be my reflectors, to tell people about Christ. So you see, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go and I send the Holy Spirit because what is being done in a limited fashion with Jesus among us now is going to be exponentially exploded that within 50 days, 
of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the church, the followers of Jesus, according to Acts chapter 2, has exploded to 3,000 in one event. And really, most people think it could have been seven or 8,000 because traditionally in that culture, they only counted uh, the, the men. So if you start adding women and children to that number, and by the time we get to Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7, when the persecution starts coming on, some scholars estimate the church among followers of Jesus could be anywhere from ten to 15,000 people in Jerusalem alone. I mean, no marketing, no bumper stickers, no little gimmicks, right? How did they do that? They did it because of the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered their witness. I quoted William Fay. He said, the Holy Spirit makes your witnessing efforts effective. When you sense the Holy Spirit working through as he guides a lost person to ask the right questions, find the right answers, and make a decision. In other words, uh, the Holy Spirit is always at work. And the Holy Spirit's at work in people in your workplace, and your job, and your class, or wherever it is that you're around. And sometimes we just need to kind of spice a little conversation uh, and see where the Holy Spirit is working and see where that person... Because guess what? I found out that the people that you think are the most unlikely to be interested in spiritual things, that you find out afterwards that they're staying up at night watching Christian television or doing something like that, and hopefully they don't get off track, but you know, they, they, are, they are hungry. They're reading their Bible. They would never admit it. But see, the Holy Spirit knows all that, doesn't he? And so we can depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us into those conversations and allow the Spirit to give us the courage. It isn't, we're not selling vacuum cleaners. We're not, we don't have to memorize a sales technique. We just have to be, what, not our ability, but our availability, right? Just say, Lord, I'm available for you. You're the helper. You're going to help me be a better witness for Christ. All right, so let's pick it up. In uh, number five, this will be where we'll kind of bring it down in, in uh, the five, six, and seven, looking at and concluding these seven ministries of the Holy Spirit. So this is new, all right? In your outline, you can write this in. The Holy Spirit, one of the, witness, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, notice the scripture, it says there are diversities of gifts. Say diversities. Diversities, different kinds, but the same spirit. There are differences, differences, say differences, of ministries, but what? The same Lord. Verse 6, and there are, here it is, diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So right away, Paul is saying, this is not cookie cutter, the work of the Spirit. We're all different, and the Holy Spirit has a variety and differences of giftings that he puts in his body. But notice he says in verse 7, but the manifestation or the revealing of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So it isn't the Holy Spirit gives you a gift just for you, you, just your little world. No, he's put us in a body the analogy of a body, a physical human body, is how he pictures the body of Christ, the church. And he has put us in the body so that when he has given us a gift that we'll, we'll talk about in a second, he has given that not for us just to have our own little party 
and say, that's my little gift. I'm going to run off and, and, and do that, and that's mine alone. No, he says, I've given that to you for the benefit or for the profit of all. Verse 8, for to one, look at, he starts breaking these down. For to one is given the word of wisdom. That's one of the gifts. Through the Spirit. Again, in just common sense, this is a wisdom that's Spirit-given. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Something the Holy Spirit reveals to a person that that you don't don't know in the natural. Uh, To another, faith by the same Spirit. This uh, This is an impartation, I think, of of a special impartation of faith concerning a, a particular issue or, or something that you're needing that, 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 that uh, impartation that's above and beyond just general faith that we believe and accept to another gifts of healings. We'll talk about that actually on Wednesday nights in the fall. We're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and at some point we're going to break all these down and talk about it. And to another gifts of healing. Notice it's plural, gifts of healings. That means there's different varieties, not just always physical, but there's gifts of healings, plural, but it's the same spirit. Verse 10, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy or speaking forth the word, to another, discerning of spirits. Notice it's a little s there. To another, to another different kinds of tongues. We'll get into that. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but notice this, he repeats what he said earlier in verses 4 through 6. But to one and the same Spirit works all these things. So he's saying there's a variety of ways that the Spirit is working in the body, but it's the same singular Holy Spirit. Now this is important, look at this this last statement, that the Holy Spirit distributes these gifts to each one, individually as the pastor gives you a certificate and tells you, is that what it says? As you complete a class on the spiritual gifts, that's when you're awarded a license to use that gift. No, what does it say? The Holy Spirit hands them out as He sovereignly wills. That's why Paul would go on to say, look, don't be jealous and envious. We've got great talent of musicians and singers. And then there are people that are shower singers. And you're a legend in your own mind. And you make a joyful noise unto the Lord. But we want that joyful noise to stay in the shower. You hear what I'm saying? You know it's true. Don't look so smug. You know it's true. All right? And you want that gift. You want that. You want to sing. Well, sing with all your might and your heart. Just crank that hot water up and sing to the glory of God, right? What am I saying is that sometimes we really... I've, I was talking... Uh, Sandy, I was going to say, what is your name? <laughs> that Prevagen. Yeah, I didn't take it this morning. Um, that we were talking about a, a well-known uh, person in the body of Christ back in the 40s and 50s, and this person had unique gifts, but he wanted to be a teacher so bad. And because he, wanted to, because he got out of his lane of gifting, he got off into a lot of false teaching, a lot of false doctrine. If he had just stayed and did what God had gifted him to do, he, he would have been fine. 
So the Holy Spirit is the one that gives these gifts, all right? Now, Jesus is in next week or in the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about in John 17, where Jesus prays in verse 21. He says, Father, my prayer is that they would be one. So the Holy Spirit, guess what? There is great diversity and unity under the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, right? And every church, you know, some people want a cookie cutter church, but guess what? You look out, I'm looking out at you, and I see a variety of people. I see a variety of backgrounds, colors, ages, the whole thing. To me, that's the way the body of Christ should reflect, right? And so the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk about that on those Wednesday nights and get into that. But, you know, there's always two, you know, there's always two ditches you have to avoid. And uh, maybe this is your background, it's been my background, is that you can go to one or two extremes. You can get off in the ditch in one or two ways. You can get off in the ditch where everything is an emphasis on spiritual gifts. That's all there is. You think that was all there is in the Bible. And what's the other ditch? You never talk about it. You never, you never address it. You never teach on it. You never encourage. You never. Obviously, it's a big deal. I mean, Paul took a lot of real estate up in the New Testament to talk about it. So what do we want to do? We want to stay down the middle highway of biblical balance, right? We want to make sure we get all the truth, but avoid those two extremes. You with me? In agreement? All right, good. Just pretend you are, all right? Six, number six of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit empowers us to worship so much, uh, so much to bring into this. Let me just pull a few scriptures here to help us a little bit. In Ephesians 5, I think that's the scripture I put in your outline, in verses 18 through 21, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he said, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. In other words, dissipation is another word uh, of separation. In other words, when you're drunk with wine, it, it separates you, it gets you off kilter from the, from the place you need to be, the flow. He says, don't be drunk with wine, and which, is, which leads to separation, disconnection, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that's something we're going to delve into on Wednesday. Is there a filling? Am I filled? Is there more fillings? I mean, according to here, he's addressing believers, is he not? And he's also saying, be filled. Well, somebody may say, well, wait a minute, I already... I already got that. I already got that baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit. But here, this is where it's important to keep things in context. And we're going to break all those things down on Wednesday nights in the fall. Uh, and, and what's so interesting is, this is, uh, I think, MacArthur, John MacArthur, who's no, no uh, you know, friend to charismatics, but I think he's spot on in his study Bible when he says in this verse and makes this comment, he says, true communion with God is not induced by drunkenness, but by the Holy Spirit. Paul is giving a command for believers to live continually under the influence of the Spirit by letting the Word control them. That's what he's saying there in Ephesians 5, uh, 18. Don't be drunk with wine, but allow the control, the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. Do you need Jesus every day or just once a week on Sundays? Every day, every second of the day. 
right? I don't eat it just on Sunday. There's some folks come in the church, they do, they come in here and whatever, and when they walk out that door, they don't think about, they don't open their Bible, they don't think, they don't pray, they're not, they just, and they just wait, maybe next Sunday I'll get another fill up, you know, and I'll go in there and get, get juiced up for whatever, an hour and a half, and then I'll be on my way. I need filling, I need food every day, daily bread. I need manna every day. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the work of God working in my life all the time. So he says, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. Now notice what he says in verse 19. We're talking about empowers us to worship. This is, this is the manifestation, a little snippet of the manifestation of a Holy Spirit church and what is happening there in their midst. He says, verse 19, is part of this filling of the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That means that the Holy Spirit is creating spiritual language. And I'm not talking about the tongues, but I'm just talking about a, a spiritual understanding so that we're encouraging one another in, 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 in our singing and our worship. And then he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit worship and music isn't just preliminaries that we do before we do this. No, the worship and when you study biblical worship, worship is what precedes, precedes when, they, when the Israelites fought in those battles. Who did they put out in front? They put those worship leaders. Now, wouldn't that intimidate the, the socks off of you? You're in an army and you're looking ahead and you see these worship leaders coming at you. You think they're crazy. Like, what in the world is that about? I mean, if, why? Because they understood that the battle belongs to the Lord and that worship wasn't just doing some preliminaries, but singing. And, but here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, he's going to come and live inside of you. So if the Holy Spirit is worshiping with that triune Godhead, and Jesus said he takes what he hears and sees and puts it in your heart, what kind of expression should be coming out of your mouth and your heart? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It reveals what's going on in here. And if you're fellowshipping, communing, relating, growing in your relationship with Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to keep filling, guess what should be coming out of the believer's mouth and their heart? And Jesus, or Paul said, that this spirit-filled church has people that aren't just coming there because they paid the professional preacher and worship leaders to do the job. They're saying this is a church in which the body is exercising the gifts and the work and the evidence of the church coming together. Here's the deal. The church comes together on the Lord's Day and you're bringing what you've cultivated all week long. Unfortunately, we do that, but the problem is we're bringing the wrong stuff we've cultivated. We're bringing anger, stress, jealousy, you know, you name it. He says worship should be flowing in your life 24-7. Yeah, you still got to work. I'm not telling being a weirdo. I'm just saying that you're... <laughs> You're living this. You're relating to you're 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 relating to Christ. You're you're walking in His Word. We'll talk about that. So when the church comes together, it should be the harvest. Listen to me. It should be the harvest 
and collection of the gifts and the evidences of the work of Jesus going on in people's lives on the other six days when we come together. But you know what happens is the worship team has a, 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 a tremendous burden sometimes is to try to have you come in fighting. Now we know nobody here does that. Fighting on Sunday, arguing. Where's my shirt? I don't know. I hung it up. What did you do with it? I mean, arguing and fussing and fighting. And you come in and you hear the hallelujah chorus when you walk through the doors. And you're just all sun changed. And the, and, the, and the worship team's up here. And you're sitting there and you're still mad because your wife or your, somebody you didn't iron your shirt. You wanted to wear your favorite belt, whatever it was. I don't know. And you come in and the worship team is trying to stir you up. That's an impossible task. Imagine what kind of body life there would be like in this church at Ephesus if the people came in full of the Spirit. And this was just overflow time. Right? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that, be that would be, listen, that would be an exciting place to be. That would be a place where people could come in and receive and, and find the will of God for their life. Why? It isn't just because the preacher's up there. No, it's because the body is reflecting the work of the Holy Spirit going on in their life. Singing, making melody in their heart. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I just, that's a little snippet there. There's a companion passage in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And um, put that on the screen this is a companion passage, and I want to, I you know, pay attention here because I'm going to read you something in just a moment. Notice again, a different church, different context, Corinth. He says, in a similar way, we're talking about empowered worship. Paul says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Sounds kind of repetition. Keep, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the revealing of the Holy Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Almost sounds like he's using the same sermon, isn't it? For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, many parts, but all the members of that one Body, being many, are one singular body, so is Christ. Now, here's the reason I read those two together, almost, almost identical, is Paul has, isn't saying and isn't teaching one thing with Ephesus and one thing in Corinth. This was a consistent understanding of church life that Paul the Apostle was teaching and putting into balance within the church. If you know anything about the church at Corinth, you know they 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 not only they were they kind of were overdoing it on the spiritual gifts. 
And what's interesting is something I read, uh, and I'm going to have it on the screen. It's a little longer quote, but I have it all on the screen. I want you to follow along. And what's interesting about this statement about that church in Corinth is this is a statement by somebody some of you may have heard of. You may have never heard of him, but you will now. Uh, by the name of uh, uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. And at one time, he died in 1980, but he was the pastor. How many of you remember on Wednesday, we, those two weeks where R.T. Kendall, we watched a couple of those videos. How many of you were here, okay? R.T. Kendall pastored the church that Martin Lloyd-Jones pastored in London called the Westminster Chapel. Now, the reason I emphasize that, and this, again, may mean some, some, to some of you, it may not mean anything, but when I read you what Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about this church in Ephesus and Corinth and the spirit-filled life, it's really interesting because Martin Lloyd-Jones is a hero, one of my heroes, uh, is great expository preaching, but he's a hero to people that would say that all the spiritual gifts ended at the death of the apostles. I mean, he's a hero to John MacArthur. I love John MacArthur, but John MacArthur would certainly be no friend to people that would embrace and believe the gifts are relevant for today. And yet Martin Lloyd-Jones is one of the heroes. He's a reformed, if that doesn't mean anything, don't worry about it. But I mean, you you can't get any more evangelical and reformed than Martin Lloyd-Jones. So keep that in mind, if that means anything, when I read this quote of what he says about this church in Corinth. We're talking about the Spirit empowering worship and the gifts. All right, look at this quote. Lloyd-Jones says, among this church in Corinth, here is a gathering of men and women who are filled with the Spirit of God, and each one of them has got something, one a psalm, one a doctrine, one a revelation, or, or, or something the Lord has impressed on them, one an interpretation, one a tongue. When one gave his contribution, the others rejoiced, and they praised God together, And they were all in a state of great joy and glory and happiness. Remember, he's commenting on what we just read from 1 Corinthians. Notice this. He said, our danger is that we tend to judge and to think of the New Testament meetings with what we are familiar with in our spiritual deadness. See, we read it by our experience as saying, what is going on there? What's what's happening? We tend to judge it by where we're at. He said, here is joy in this church. Here is inspiration. Here is illumination. Here is something that is given, this activity of worship in the body, by the power and the work of the Spirit. There is so much life in this church in Corinth. He said, there's so much life and power that the apostle has to say, now you've got to control this. Let everything be done in decent and order. Listen, Imagine if the Apostle Paul was writing some of these churches, he wouldn't have to say, hey, 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 kind of tamp it down a little bit. You're too on fire. That's what he's saying there. Why would he have to say that to some churches? Because just dead is dead is dead. There's no life there. It's better he's saying, hey, he doesn't say stop it. He says, hey, keep things in balance. Keep reading. There were excesses, extremes in the church at Corinth. But what does Paul say to them? Does he say, never speak in tongues again? Remember, this is coming from a Reformed guy. Never speak in tongues again. Never prophesy again. Never give vent to these feelings that you have within you, meaning the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. 
He does not say anything of the sort. The whole atmosphere in the early church was charged with the Spirit. And they expressed that. They manifested that in psalms, meaning worship songs and hymns and spiritual songs. The really important question for us to face is, are we like the early church? Are we like early Christians? Rejoicing and praising God. Filled with gladness and joy. So that we amaze the world and make them think at times that we're filled with new wine. I don't think anybody's ever accused this church of being drunk. Because of what? You say, well, that's extreme. Yeah. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is an extremist. Right? But he's balanced. Let us avoid all excesses. Let us avoid all extremes. Let everything be done decently and in order. But above all, quench not the Spirit. Rather, be filled with the Spirit and give evidence of the fact that you are. You see what Jones is saying? We make such emphasis upon one particular gift as a manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But what he's reminding us is that the manifestation, the evidence, is much bigger and broader than just one particular gift that's being used there. He's saying a spirit-filled community should be evidence, not in the great preaching, the great media, the great worship team. He's saying it should be truly evidence. They didn't have any of that in the, in the New Testament church. But it was evidence in the lives of people who were walking in the Holy Spirit. And when they came together, what did they do? They came together all that they were cultivated. That's the reason they could have church services and meals that would last five, six, seven, eight hours. Some of y'all start twitching in about 20 minutes. I'm teasing. Kind of. All right. Seven. Last ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number seven. Not the last, but the last in what we're talking about. Is the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us. Here's a great example. And it's from Acts chapter 16. Early church, work of the church. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, region of Galatia, planted churches there, guess what? Wrote a letter called Galatians. When they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, notice what it says. Talking about leading of the Holy Spirit. The apostles, Paul and others, were forbidden by who? The State Department. Is that what it says? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit was leading them. And part of that leading is the Holy Spirit says, go. Holy Spirit says, slow. And sometimes the Holy Spirit says, no. And he said, no, don't go. You ever busted through something and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. Don't buy it. Don't sign it. <laughs> Better quit there. But anyway. And what would you do? What did we do? What did I have done? Just put it in 
fifth and just going to. And then we find out the Holy Spirit was tapping our door and warning us. Holy Spirit forbid them. Verse 7. And after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go, they tried to go into Bithynia. But again, the Holy Spirit did not permit them. We're talking about leading of the Spirit. I want you to see an example of the Holy Spirit doing his job. So passing by Mysia, verse 8, they came down to Troas. And it was in Troas that a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, a Greek area, non-Jewish, stood in this vision. Wasn't a dream. Usually a biblical vision is you're fully awake and conscious, and yet the Holy Spirit is allowing you to see something. And a man of Macedonia stood in this vision and pleaded with Paul in this vision, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You get that kind of vision, concluding that the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go here, go here. What am I showing you? I'm saying the Holy Spirit leads and guides. Now, see, what we want to do is we want to cultivate. I mean, look, I'm not going to say you may not have a vision. I've never had a vision like that. Maybe after uh, a Supreme Deluxe Pizza at 11 o'clock at night, had lots of visions. And I'm not sure they were the Holy Spirit visions. But I'm not ready to say that can't happen. You hear what I'm saying? Because I believe that there are some giftings that the Holy Spirit tends to do in areas around the world where the spiritual darkness is so strong that the Holy Spirit manifests His power in such a powerful way among the church because that's where the battlefield is. See, we have intellectualized our Christianity to the point that we can sit and be passive and non-emotional. I'm not talking about crazy. I'm saying non-emotional in our response because we've, been, we've seen the flaky people. We've seen the goofiness. And so we just say, I don't have anything to do with that. And what do we do? We don't do anything. We don't do anything. So how, how, what are just some real simple ways that I can cultivate and re, a, re, my renewed spirit? And when I say renewed spirit, my renewed man, my renewed spirit that the Holy Spirit has, and born again, how can I cultivate to be better led by the Spirit of God? I'm going to give you three practical ways, and there's a place you can write these down on that bottom of that outline. Number one, these are real practical. Meditate on the Word of God. Meditate. Sometimes we may have feel like that word meditate. We're like, well, isn't that what some Eastern religions and all that do? That do? Look at some scripture here. Joshua 1.8. The Lord said to Joshua, said this book of the law, we could say the Word of God, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all according uh, to all that is written in it. For then, 
Then, I'd mark then, I'd circle then in my Bible. Then comes after the meditating and the decision to observe what you've read. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. You see, to get to the place in my life where I hear and I can receive the word of the Lord and distinguish it, that is something that has to be cultivated and learned. It doesn't just, just not going to be an automatic thing. Jesus said in John 14, he said, My sheep hear my what? Hear my voice and recognize my voice. You see, the more time that you meditate, and meditate, interesting, the meditate on the word uh, also comes from a, a word in Hebrew that means mutters. You ever be around somebody? And my wife sometimes will say, what are you muttering about? What am I doing? I'm talking to my what? I'm talking to myself. Meditate, meaning that the word of God is just flowing in my life. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm applying it to my life. When you meditate on the word of God, here, here, don't miss this. When you meditate... When you reflect, listen, learn, when you're meditating on the Word of God, you are training your human spirit, renewed human spirit, to recognize God's voice and to be in tune with what He has to say with, to you. You see, when you spend time with somebody, you ever call somebody on the phone or, or they call you or whatever, and you answer the phone... And you're two minutes into the conversation and you say, I have no idea who this is. Hey, Colleen, how you doing? How's it going? Hey, how's it, you know, and you just start, they're talking and you're just bewildered. Caller ID doesn't help you. I mean, nothing. But you've got people that are tight in your life. If Devin called you, would you have to stop and think, who is this? No. It's your great-grandson, right? who's in the Navy. Pray for Devin. Why? Familiarity and relationship, what does that do? You become familiar with the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so when you and I have made some stupid, and I use that word stupid on purpose. I know your mama said don't say stupid, but it's stupid. Decisions. You know why? It's because we mistook the direction of the Holy Spirit when it was really just, we just wanted to do it. Let's be honest. We just wanted to do it. Third, secondly, you want to cultivate being led by the Holy Spirit, not only meditate on the Word, but be a doer of the Word. You remember what the Word back in Joshua uh, uh, says, you meditate on the word, you hear the word, and then you obey the word. James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Remember what James says? That the person who hears the word is like the man or woman who looks at themselves in the mirror. What does the mirror do? It reflects back reality. And to some of us, that's a scary thing. Like, how did I get those gray hairs? That just happened this week. What in the world? The mirror, what? Reflects reality. 
And if you look in the mirror and you've got something hanging out of your mouth from what you ate, and you look in the mirror and think, hey, I look pretty good. And you walk away forgetting what you saw in the mirror. No good. No good. That's what happens to the person who sees truth in the Word of God, sees the reflection of the will of God, and is not a doer. They just say, oh yeah, that's interesting. And walks away and forgets it. That person is not a person walking and being led of the Holy Spirit. Because you're not a what? You're not a doer of the Word. You're not obedient. Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the last kind of is related to that is thirdly, talking about being led by the Holy Spirit, cultivating a heart is instantly respond to your spirit. Yeah, be a doer of the word, but don't debate, am I going to obey God? Am I going to do this? But instantly go with God. I guarantee you, everything you go with God and decide to do is going to be a good choice. Does that mean it's going to be hard? Yeah, maybe. Will it be difficult? Maybe. But I love what Charles Stanley always says. Obey God and leave all the consequences to Him. Because God's way is right. The reason some of you struggle you see, we're getting ready to start this Financial Peace University. And what did we do that? Three years ago? Four years? I forget. Four years ago, maybe? And you see, until you are exposed to truth and you have the opportunity to change and adjust your life, but you think, if I just keep kind of going and doing the same old, same old, instead of saying, look, here are principles in God's Word... And quit debating it and just start obeying. Make your impulse to where you instantly obey the word of the Lord. Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What's the evidence of being a child of God? Is being led by God. John 14, 16, in the Amplified. Actually, I'm not going to read that. Go down to 1 Timothy 4, 7, if you could jump down to that one. You see, part of this in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and the NIV says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourselves. You know what that tells me? That godliness, train yourselves to be godly, godliness is a process. Train yourselves. It doesn't say, have Pastor Tim train you. It says, train yourself. Take responsibility for your spiritual growth and train yourselves to be godly. And Colossians 3 2 in the Amplified says, and set your minds. That's an act of the will, it's not passive. And set your minds and keep them set. Set your minds and keep them set on what is above the higher things, not on things that are on the earth, being led by the Holy Spirit. Which of these ministries of the Spirit 
are you most in need of? If you're like me, I'm like all of them. All of them. And you know why I give you these outlines and things like this? Because you can use this as a tool to incorporate in your prayer time. You can take each one of those ministries of the Holy Spirit and incorporate that into a prayer time. Holy Spirit, transform, continue to transform and change my life. Continue to lead me and convict me of of sin in my life, those areas that are not pleasing to you. Uh, Holy Spirit, guide me into the truth, God. Keep me from error. Holy Spirit, empower me, God. I receive your... You have empowered me. In that we're waiting on it. He's given us the power. But Lord, let me walk in obedience to better reflect you in my conversations. Lord, I thank you for the spiritual gifts, God. God, you've, you've given me giftings to be used in the body of Christ. Holy Spirit, I receive your empowerment that's going to affect the way that I gather for worship. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're leading me. You know, the first, the illustration I gave on that first one that we uh, teaching, I gave the illustration of a deep sea diver that when they enter into the water, they have tanks on their back. What is in those tanks? Oxygen. Right? You see, the oxygen is necessary for that diver to survive in a foreign environment. Right? Without that oxygen, without that life, you're not going to survive in a foreign environment of underwater. Because we're not made to live underwater. The Holy Spirit is our spiritual oxygen that enables us to survive and thrive in a foreign environment. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus said, without me, and I would say without me, meaning without me and my spirit, without me, you can do nada. Do you like that? Nothing. Nothing. You can do nothing. You won't make it. Why did Jesus say... To these disciples that are ready to charge out of the gate, Jesus tells them to do what? I want you to wait. Wait. We don't have time to wait. Wait. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and empower you. Give you what you need to fulfill my words. Why do we need the empowering and the ministry of the Spirit in our life? Because we need the strength and the helper to enable us to do what Jesus has called us to do. We need that. We need that oxygen. Because without that oxygen of relationship and communion and hearing the voice of God and walking in the Spirit, we won't survive in this foreign environment. We're not made for this earth. We are Spirit-born-again people. We have a renewed spirit. We have a renewed spirit life, and we need spiritual oxygen. You with me? To live and to walk as Jesus walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we, how we need your helper. I doubt there's a person here that's born again that doesn't desire the helper, the Holy Spirit. God, to work and empower us further, to fill us. God, we know that the Holy Spirit 
Lord, as part of our salvation, but this continual living and filling and thriving and listening, obeying. God, you've not given us laws and a list, but God, you have said, I'm going I'm to put the Holy Spirit, I'm a, as Jeremiah promised in that new covenant, I'm going to write my laws. I'm going to write my word on your heart. How have you done that? You've done that by the Holy Spirit that brings to remembrance. The Holy Spirit isn't a magician that's going to make things appear out of nothing that we haven't taken in. It's word and spirit. You've given us a Bible. You've given us a a word that's without error, that's clear, that is a clear path that the Holy Spirit can take these words of Scripture and apply the truth and the power into my marriage, into my life, to my job, my relationships. Why are things such a mess Why are things such a mess in my life? It's because I've totally ignored the helper that Jesus has already given. If you're born again, you don't have to wait for it. He's already given it. You just have to utilize. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. Just like a hose. You can pinch it and cut the flow of that hose from bringing out the water. And sin will quench the flow of the Holy Spirit. Jealousies, bitterness, all those things that Paul said, these things are the evidence of the flesh, the sinful life. Those are things that he said right before he talked about the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation Isn't that we're never going to make a mistake? We're never going to blow it. We're never going to. But the manifestation of the Spirit is a continual evidence day by day, year by year, that God is growing us, growing in us His righteousness, His holiness, His truth. We can't do it alone. He has provided the helper and the ministry of the Spirit.